0: find that the number one predictor of whether or not somebody will describe their work as a calling as opposed to a job or a career is the number of years they have spent getting good at that craft
1: welcome to the kindling fire my name is troy mangum this podcast is here to advance the revolution Jesus started, a revolution of the free, the fire starters, the troublemakers, and the zealots. I interview people who I think are awesome, who have heard that revolutionary call and are going after Jesus with their whole heart. If you listen to this show and join our community, I know God is going to speak to you. I believe God wants to change the world through you, through your unique gifts and talents He's given you. This podcast is here to be a voice of encouragement in your life, a voice that says with God you can and with God you will. Let's get rolling. Today on The Kindling Fire, I have a Jordan Rainer on the show. You are a two-time guest. Thanks yeah. for
0: coming back. Absolutely. I had so much fun the first time. I had to come back.
1: <laughs> so we are going to get into a great topic um, for my listeners. If uh, you're entrepreneurs, you are bold in nature. Uh, you uh, are looking to push yourself in a way that you may not expect, uh, this is going to be a good show for you. So, so stay tuned. So Jordan, so, uh, let's talk about why we're here. Yeah. So, um, first off, I, I, I've read your book master of one. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing how many uh, how many podcast hosts don't read your book, but still invite you on the show anyway. It's crazy.
1: Well, I remember our first show. What's what's so ironic about it is my first show I did with you. I was on a plane um, reading your book and it was just so like God was using the book to really speak to my heart and some of the dreams I had, entrepreneurial stuff and. And it was very, very touching and moving, and you know, and all this. And so I end up reading this book on a plane. I was on. Did, another, did you really? Yeah, I, I was on. A, I was like, what this? is the? So every time, every time you release a book, I'll be on a plane reading it. So. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Just so. Um, all right. So let's let's like um, first off, Master of One. Um, yeah. You're an entrepreneur. You have got a lot going on. Yeah. What drove you to really look into the singularity of, you know, how you – why be singular when there's so many great things to do all over the place?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I I grew up as very much a jack of all trades and a master of none i think a lot of us can describe ourselves that way and somewhere along my journey i had a mentor of mine who sat me down at lunch and he was asking me like what in the world is going to be the thing that you're going to go really big on in your career like what's the one thing you really want to sink your teeth into and get world class at and i thought the question was preposterous like how could there be one thing that i could really uh sink my teeth into when i have so many different interests But throughout my career, ever since he asked me that question, I've become convinced that like that is the question, Uh, especially for Christians who believe that our work is a primary form of ministry. If we believe that, then we ought to have the highest standards for excellence in our work. And one thing I've learned in the first 10 years of my career i might totally disagree with this in the second 20 but in the first 10 years of my career i've learned that it is simply impossible to get world class at more than one thing vocationally at the same time so sure i'm a jack of all trades and i I think that's fine i have no problem with people being a jack of all trades i think the problem for us christians is when there's nothing that we can point to in our careers and our vocation to say yeah I'm world-class at that, and that is primarily how I -hmm. reveal the character of an exceptional god that I say I serve and love my neighbor as myself by doing really exceptional work. So I think this idea of being a jack-of-all-trades and a master of one is a much more helpful way to think about career if – you want to find a career that you can do uh, really exceptionally well in service of others. Yeah, so let's dig into a little bit about
1: the, the, the nature of, okay, we follow Christ. So you know, I'm just going to throw it out like this. So we follow Christ. So, you know, look, you know, I, I take shortcuts. I'm taking a shortcut <laughs> to heaven. So I take a shortcut in, uh, in how I live. So yep. speak to speak to that a little bit like what what because I think that seeped in a little bit into our faith in our work ethic.
0: Yeah, sure. I think uh, I think a lot of us are kind of just casually drifting through life and um, I don't write for those people, frankly. I write for the I write for the Christian who um, and even if you don't believe this, if you're just curious about this idea, I write for the Christian that's sitting there and saying, you know what? God has created me for a purpose. I'm here for a purpose. And my job as a follower of Christ is to understand how God has wired me uniquely uh, to do his work, to be his hands and feet in the world, right? And I, and I, I, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, we are made in the image of the exceptional creator of God. God mm-hmm. created with excellence. We are made in his image and thus whatever we do, whether we're entrepreneurs or artists or marketing executives or janitors, we're called to do that work as exceptionally as we know how to do it. And, 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 and as has been revealed through common grace, uh, how we can do those jobs really, really well. So I don't think – I don't think Christians are called to mediocrity. I, I find it very hard to imagine Jesus making shoddy tables, right? Uh, what, what's the famous Dorothy Sayers quote, right? The uh, the first thing that uh, Christians should be teaching is that you should make great tables, right? Yeah. Uh, just like Jesus did, right? So. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that. I think it's really yeah. important that Christians understand why their work matters because it's a primary means of serving others, right? Before serving our own kind of ambition, uh, and that realization should lead us to. This ambition—I don't know a better word for that—for just doing really great work.
1: Yeah, I, I loved your example in the book. You—you you talked about um, somebody making a shortcut in a—I a, think in a plumbing situation or something where it was uh, where they could have done something else, and then they yeah. chose to kind of take a shortcut, and now the homeowners were paying the price for that. You know, guy with the Christian fish on his van who did your plumbing choices, uh, which usually has to do with profit margins and how I can make more if I shortcut, etc. But then now, so is that really what? Well, what's your? I'm going to take your point. What, What was the point you made in that? I thought it was a brilliant point.
0: Yeah, so the story came from my friend uh, Matt Perman, who's a great writer. Uh, Matt wrote a book called What's Best Next uh, a few years ago that did pretty well. Um, and so the story was about his house. The basement of his house got flooded uh, because the construction crew, the contractor, used really, really cheap materials for the sump pump. I've never heard of this before. I live in the south, so, like, I don't know what sump pumps are. Yeah. And uh, But anyways, the point is he used really, really cheap Cards. He didn't make an exceptional home. He made an adequate home, an acceptable home. Uh, and my buddy Matt was the one left with the expense when his basement flooded. Uh, that contractor had saved money for himself and passed on a greater expense to Matt to the insurance company that had to fix the home. Right. So, I, I think a, a lot of Christians are are asking, how does my faith impact my work? And I think a lot of people assume that the only way your faith impacts your work is if you are sharing the gospel with your coworkers or you're taking the profit from your work and donating it to people who are doing quote unquote full-time ministry. I think that's garbage. I think those two things are good things. I think those are things that we should be doing. But Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And that was a complete sentence. It wasn't, Love your neighbor as yourself so that you can earn opportunities to tell them about me, although I'm sure that's a God-honoring use of being good at what we do. We love our neighbor as ourselves through the ministry of excellence, of going the extra mile, of doing our work exceptionally well, because work, contrary to what the world will tell us, isn't primarily about our happiness. It's not primarily about uh, our economic good, it's primarily service to others, just like our whole life is supposed to be service to others.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and that's and that's one thing that I um, I love about your thought processes in this book and your other book is that you know being expressing God in the world is far more involved than you than what you describe, and most yes. people just relegate it to you know a verse on their business card. I mean, it's just so cheap. It's so just—it's so cheap, and and the thing that I that I want I want to see if you would respond to. There was a verse that I've actually been exposed to the last couple um, week or so, and it's talking about Daniel and his excellent spirit and the excellent spirit putting him in the in the favor of those in power yeah. and, and then giving him even more, you know, even yeah. more because he had distinguished himself. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, about oh, that? Oh, I would love
0: to. <laughs> I thought a lot about Daniel as I was writing Master of One. Yeah, I think throughout scripture, you see uh, a few examples of these biblical characters, uh, these biblical figures who were really exceptional at what they did vocationally. And that excellence at work, leading to opportunities of greater power to be poured out in service of others. I think I think Daniel is a good example of that. I think Deborah is a good example of that. I think, you know, uh, I I, I'm always reminded of the proverb. uh, I can't. I can't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head. But look at the man. Uh, the man who does essentially the man. You will who does be brought before work. kings. You will you will serve before kings. Yeah. You will not serve before low men. You will serve before kings. And so I think there is this biblical promise, and I talk about it in Master of One, that when we do our work with excellence, we will be granted greater and greater quote unquote. Power, that's a term a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with, but I do think it's power. And it's not power to hoard for ourselves, uh, but it is power that is to be expended on behalf of others, uh, in service of others. I tell, in the book, I tell the story of uh, Sharon Watkins, who was uh, a pretty high-ranking accountant at Enron. She loved Jesus She's a pretty high uh, high ranking accountant at Enron, and she's the one who first spotted fraud at Enron and brought it to Ken Lay's attention. Uh, and her testimony is is largely what brought down. Uh, what, what what brought down Enron and stopped this very sinful activity from happening. She was named Times Person of the Year in 2002, right? Uh, but she would have never had that power. She would have never been a VP at Enron uh, had she not been exceptional at her craft, had she not spent a decade-plus getting masterfully good at the art of accounting, right? But because she was... She was put in this position of great power uh, that she, as a as a Christ follower, felt called to expend in service of her neighbor. In that case, tens of thousands of employees and investors and shareholders in Enron.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let let's let's dig in. There was an example you brought in the book that I that I really resonated with, and it's so funny because I, it's sort of like I remember the one that's most like me, and I forgot the one <laughs> the other one. You know, it's and, so, and it was basically about C.S. Lewis. In comparison to someone else. Uh, Can you just uh, share a little bit of that analogy about – because sometimes people get hung up with, okay, so that means just – I just do
0: one thing. Like if I swing a hammer, that's it. Like that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I think the title of the book is both intriguing and also intimidating. Right, so I, this idea that like, oh my gosh, there's one job I'm gonna do. I'm Jordan. I'm under the age of 50. I'm not gonna have one job for the rest of my life. That's not at all what I'm saying at Master of One. Uh, so I offer a framework to think about your one thing. I think some people's one thing is very specific, right? So for example, uh, I have a friend. His name's Bob. Bob has tuned pianos for 30 plus years. It's all he's done. Right, very specific one thing I'm Bob I tune pianos and you know not shockingly he's like world class at what he does he has an amazing ear I love watching him tune my pianos but C.S. Lewis I was talking to C.S. Lewis' stepson uh, Douglas Gresham who's become a good friend of mine and uh, you know I was asking Doug to confirm my hypothesis that you know, C.S. Lewis is one thing was writing, right? We know, we know C.S. Lewis is a writer. Of course, is one thing was writing. And Doug like cut me off. He's like, no. He's like, you're missing the point. Jack, what he called his stepdad. Jack's one thing was teaching. He was ex- he was an exceptional teacher. And he applied that one thing in a couple of different areas of his career, right? So he applied his skills as a teacher to writing fiction, to writing nonfiction, to teaching at Magdalen College in Oxford, and to being a BBC radio broadcaster. So it was one thing, and Jack thought about it as one thing, but it was applied in multiple directions. So I, I think that's a really helpful way uh, to think about what your one thing might be. So mine is very broad. My one thing is... Entrepreneurship, right? So, uh, and even in seasons of my career when I've been writing a book and running a company, I've never seen those things as two things. That's been one thing for me. It's the same art of identifying a gap in the market, bringing a product to bear, whether it's software or a physical book, to meet that need in the market and making sure it scales. Very much one skill set. Applied in two different directions. Yeah. So, you know, you're if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, "Oh my gosh, how can I just do one thing for the rest of my life?" That might be a more helpful way to think about it. Yeah. So, so
1: let's let's talk about rubber meets the road here. So, um, one of the things you, you highlight in the book is as you started down this investigation of this topic, um, you got convicted. Yeah. And in reading this book, I got convicted. So yeah. there you go. You have a gift of conviction yeah. for yourself <laughs> and others. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs>
0: But, but, but is when you convince yourself that you're supposed to walk away from a really high paying job. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that's let's can we just talk about that for a minute? Like what Here. what captured you? Um or how did God craft this and kind of what decisions did you make and yeah. then kind of where did that where does that push your trajectory like where your thought is now?
0: That's a great question. So um You know, when I started writing this book, books often start with like pretty amorphous concepts, right? So I knew after Called to Create, so my first book really established that, hey, as Christians, our work is a primary means of revealing the character of a creative God, of loving neighbor self, and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Great. Works important. Awesome. (laughs) I knew that the fundamental premise of this next book was because of that, Christians ought to have the highest standards for excellence in whatever it is they do and we ought to be world-class at whatever it is that we do, period, right? Right. Uh, And I wasn't exactly sure how that was going to shape up. So I really just started digging in like what do – what does it take to become world-class at whatever it is you, you do? And the theme that I kept coming back to over and over and over again was intense, often ruthless Focus and discipline and focus and discipline. Those are the things that kept coming up over and over again. I stumbled upon this master of one concept. I'm like, that's it. That's a really, I think, helpful way to help readers grasp this. But as I was writing the book, uh, I was also running a pretty well-financed tech startup uh, called Threshold 360. Ran the company for two and a half years. And um, again... Very much so writing the book and running the company as one thing. Right. But through my process of writing this, I got convicted that I needed to get even more focused in my one thing. Rather than applying it to two projects, I made the decision that, you know what, I got to focus on just one project at a time and really my career as a writer. And so when I made – when I when I came to that realization, I went to my board and told them, hey uh, – I'm gone in the next year or so, however long it takes for us to recruit a replacement for me. Uh, but I got to focus on the work I believe that God has created me to do and called me to do, even if that means, uh, less economic upside for me, uh, in the short term, you know, running that company was, was a great experience, uh, professionally, economically. And, um, yeah, but I had to make the decision to put all my eggs in my basket of, of writing. And so by the grace of God, we were able to recruit a CEO to take my place who, frankly, is better uh, equipped to serve the company at this stage in the venture than I would have been. Uh, and the company is doing very well, and I still get to stay involved as chairman of the board of that company. So I spent a couple uh, – about I would call it five hours a week uh, with that team. Uh, and uh, – but yeah, so the, this book's very personal in a large way is very autobiographical and putting my money where my mouth is to say, hey, I believe in this strategy so much based on the people I interviewed for this book, based on all the academic research and business literature research that me and my team did, I'm all in. I think this is the path to doing our." absolute most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others and I'm I'm willing to do it myself.
1: So would you say that you would now classify or characterize
0: what we do well, let me just ask what is yeah. what would you characterize as your one thing? Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of people have been asking me has my one thing like changed? I still think it's entrepreneurship. I I I I you know Right now, I'm focused just on writing books and producing content products. We just launched a podcast uh, called The Call to Mastery. Right, right, I saw that. Which is, a, which is a content product. But like all of that is using the same skill set as an entrepreneur, right? I am spotting gaps in the market, bringing products to launch to, to, to meet that need in the market, and then putting a team in place to help those products scale. It's the same exact thing I was doing when I was running software businesses. The only difference now is... The actual products themselves are more focused around content than they were software historically in my career. But yeah, I still think my one thing is entrepreneurship. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, I did see the name your podcast again. What's the name? Yeah, the call to mastery.
1: The call to mastery. And yeah. and. You know, so just for the listeners, if you guys are, uh, first off, pick up the book, right? Number one, like, let's just get to the basics. Pick up the book, and then, and then, once you um, devour that content, which is really well done, it's really well researched. It's not just opinion. There's a lot of good, hard information there that's that's defendable. Uh, to to your thesis and then the fact that you put a podcast now to say okay let's see how this plays out like let me bring this master in or that master in i mean i love it
0: yeah thanks yeah the show has done really really well uh better than we expected so basically every week i'm just sitting down and having a a conversation with somebody who's a world class at whatever their vocation is uh these are people who also love jesus and just unpacking It's basically a continuation of the book, right? Like how do you get world-class at whatever your one thing is? And how do you think about how your faith influences your particular career? So we just released a conversation with the co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton, right? Hotel group and thinking about – how they treat their employees differently because of his uh, apprenticeship to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really interesting conversation. We've done it with a ballerina, we've done it with some entrepreneurs, we've done it with some authors. Um, just really, really interesting conversations. I love. It's part of the reason why I love writing nonfiction, right? You just get access to amazing people and pick their brains, and yeah. you you have this like tremendous responsibility of distilling. That information, being a good steward of that information and trying to, you know, yeah. concisely articulated to the reader.
1: You know, one of the things that reminds me of a quote by Dallas Willard, and it basically says that what is the primary uh, objective of God? I'm modifying a little bit, but it says yeah. it is to entrust his power to men. <laughs> And so basically he's he's looking for men to and women to entrust power. And the yeah. fact that you say mastery leads to that power and power does have a bad rap. Yeah. But man, if you have power for the good, for for blessing, for for all the good that come out of it, and you have Jesus behind that, it's huge. You there's want this, that.
0: <laughs> there's this great passage, uh, actually hang on, I like, let me grab my book. Uh, can we yeah. do this on a podcast? Yeah. Yeah, we can so, do this. Grab <laughs> the, the book off my bookshelf. So one of my favorite exchanges in scripture uh, is when Jesus is talking to the disciples in, let's see, let's call it, yeah, here it is, it is in Mark chapter 10. So if you're listening, go pull up Mark chapter 10 after, uh, after listening to the podcast. And James and John come to Jesus, right? And they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. He asks, what do you want? And they say, let one of us sit at your right and the other uh, at your left in your glory. Right. So they're basically asking for power. They're asking to be viewed as great in the kingdom of heaven. What's interesting is... Jesus in his response you would expect Jesus to come down really hard on James and John right and say guys how dare you want to be powerful how dare you want to be seen as great shame on you but he doesn't do that at all he never admonishes their innate desire for power and greatness but he redirects and redefines what true power and greatness is right Jesus Here it is, verses 42 through 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, so again, not admonishing their desire for greatness, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus isn't it denying us this desire for power and greatness. I think he's saying, I put that in you, but here's how you become great. Expend yourself in service of others. And the way that we do that through our work, it's just by doing our work. Really, really well by administering the ministry of excellence of whatever.
1: So, one of the things I love that you bring out in this point is you basically said, "Okay, you go above beyond, right?" You know, I've, yeah. I, you know, I've yeah. been, I've been corporate land. You got this whole like, you know, strata of you met the need, you exceeded the need, you, you know, and all, you know, you exceeded expectations yes. and all this other stuff. Now, why, why exceed expectations? Mm. Yeah. You know, so well, I mean, as a Christian, what should the answer be?
0: Why would you exceed expectations? Yeah, listen. I think Romans 12, 12, 1 Paul summarized this really well. It's because we are to live our lives, pour our lives out as living sacrifices. We are not. Work is not uh, a means to simply getting something from the world. Work, like everything else in our lives, is a means of serving the world. And we serve the world when we are continually ambitious for doing it better and better, for exceeding expectations, for going above and beyond, uh, and loving people the way we would want to be served. Because guess what? How do we like to be served in our work? When we buy a product, we expect it to exceed our expectation. We want it to exceed our yeah, expectation. Yeah. How dare we hold different standards for ourselves and whatever our work is, right? Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Work for your neighbor as you want your neighbor working for yourself.
1: Yeah, there's a great scripture in Hebrews. And I'm, I never, I'm great on the reference, but I can get the book. And, and it basically, and it talks about the power of the word of God. And it says it divides um, it divides bone from marrow but it also says it divides a uh, heart from motive mm. and it gets into motives and mm. and i think the thing that a lot of times people don't even recognize okay yeah you're going above and beyond why are you doing that yeah what are your motives oh yeah. your motives of i want a pay raise okay yeah. great nobody's yeah. saying that's a bad thing but sure. do you have anything related to serving giving pouring out like, and God will take care of you. And most people are like, no, I'm just trying to get out the race. And, and, and you know now, what listen, the Lord opposed to raises. No, this- I know what I'm saying, but I mean, but the Lord will be like, look, do it out of a pure like most of that is fear based. I'll just be yeah, right yeah, yeah. straight yeah. to it. It's if you're if you're going above and beyond to try to get something because you think there's some sort of um, sort of everything is tied directly to my event. It's like you don't have a father in heaven, you don't have a god who loves you. You're just out there like a hamster on a wheel, and God's not going to take care of you, and none of those promises are true. But if you believe it, yeah, you'll go above and beyond. know that I'll be fine. I'll be God yeah. will take care mm-hmm. of me. I'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I love it. Well said. <laughs> so I don't know. I got my preach on there for a second. So. That's
0: good. It's <laughs> great. I love it, preach, brother. So,
1: so, um, so, one of the things that um, I want to highlight—it's on uh, page 68. Yeah. And I thought it was a good, uh, a good place to kind of have people you know, kind of wrap their brain around it. It's actually it harkens back to your old book, but it was you have these three vocational questions and I just want to touch on those. Would you go would you just kinda of walk through that and help people in the light of this concept of, of the mastery of one thing that God's calling us to Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, and listen I think these three questions I think a lot of other people recommend the same question, so I I think there's a lot of truth here since so many people seem to be coalescing around the same questions, but when we're trying to discern the work that God created us to do, whatever you want to call that, calling, vocation, I think you got to ask, one, what am I passionate about? Two, what gifts has God given me? And three, where do I have the very best opportunity to combine those things for the glory of God and service to others? The nuance I add to this in Master One, though, is Giving disproportionate weight to the second question, right? So, most people give disproportionate weight to the first question of what am I passionate about? And to yes, find yeah, yeah, I forget, yes. And I think a far better thing to be focused on is what am I gifted at, right? So, there's a whole theme, one of the biggest themes of Master of One is that passion, sustainable passion in your career, uh, is deep satisfaction of vocation, some people call it feeling God's pleasure in your work, only comes after you have gotten really world-class at whatever your thing is, right? Like passion follows mastery, and there's tons of good academic research that's been done on this by secular people, by non-Christians, right, Uh, that I cite in this book that find that the number one predictor of whether or not somebody will describe their work as a calling as opposed to a job or a career is the number of years they have spent getting good at that craft. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth in that and a lot of implications for that. We get to love what we do. By getting really good at it, which by the way shouldn't come as a surprise to Christians who say we follow Jesus, who said that he came to serve rather than to be served. How do we serve rather than be served in our work? We focus primarily on the happiness of others, of doing our work with excellence for others before our own short-term quote unquote passions and happiness, right? It's just yeah. not only not only does following your passions not work, I also think to some degree, not entirely, but to some degree, it's unbiblical. Follow Follow excellence. Follow the thing in your career that you can do exceptionally well and make others happy and then and only then do you really unlock this true satisfaction of vocation that I believe is sustainable over the lifetime of a career.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really uh, revelatory because I, I can think of, um, okay, I am passionate about X. You're not great, great at X, but you're passionate about it and then yeah. you go pursue it. And then you find that you're not great at it. And then you start finding your passion for it is kind of waning. And then at some point in time, you, you pivot and you go to Y. And I'm yeah. passionate about Y because X, you know, I I was passionate about it but i i suck at x and so i'm gonna do and then but then you get this whole alphabet of direction yeah. of passion lose passion passion lose passion yeah. and i think people that have been seeking for that thing uh have lived that life yeah and and whereas i think god there's sort of that proverbial hard work first reward second yeah yeah, And I think passion – I think you bringing that out saying, yeah, passion is one of those rewards.
0: Yeah, that's that, that, that's exactly right. L- listen, here's the deal. the So chapter 8 of the book is like, OK, here's how to get world class at whatever your one thing is, right? And this isn't rocket science. It's crazy hard and it's very rare to find somebody following these kind of three keys to mastery. But in almost every interview I did – Every piece of business literature, every piece of academic literature, it's the same thing. Number one, apprentice yourself under somebody who's more masterful than you are today. Number two, purposefully practice your thing. So everybody's familiar with the 10,000-hour rule. It takes 10,000 hours of practice to get world-class at whatever your thing is. Uh, The nuance of that is it has to be purposeful practice, which I define uh, in the book. Well, really, others define and I just regurgitate. But the last key to mastery is the hardest one. It's discipline over time, a long period of time. If you want to get masterful at any craft, you got to be committed to it for a long time, right? So I'm committed to continuing producing content products for a very, very long time because I want to get world class at this because I believe this is the work that God created me to do. And earlier in my career, that wasn't true. I was hopping around from thing to thing very, very rapidly, not sticking around long enough. Uh, to become truly world-class and find that deep satisfaction of vocation. So yeah, my prayer in writing this book is that other people don't make the same mistakes I made uh, earlier in my career. Yeah. So
1: look, so you've got actually some big news. Uh, yeah. So you have a sweepstakes that we were yeah.
0: talking about. Uh, so it's, tell, it, tell the listeners about what's going on. Yeah, so hopefully you want to read the book just based on this conversation, but if you need a little bit more motivation, so we're recording this in October, but I think we're releasing this sometime in January. In January. Yeah. And actually, by the way, this is the first time I've mentioned this on a podcast. Uh, my audience doesn't know about this, so we're going to keep this hush-hush yeah, until, we uh, until we announce it in December. Um, so if you pre-order the book, go to JordanRainer.com, jordanraynor.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. Pre-order the book, tell me you pre-ordered the book, and you're gonna be entered to win a trip for two people, uh, to go to Barcelona, to go see La Sagrada Familia. It's the largest church in the world that's been under construction for 100 years by this guy named Gaudi who spent the last 12 years of his life as a master of this one project uh, by by setting this church up for success. Been under construction for 100 years. It's about to be done. You're going to go tour this incredible church. Uh, I'm going to meet you in Barcelona for dinner uh, with you and whoever you decide to bring along on this trip. And then you're going to go on a seven-night Mediterranean cruise Uh, From, I think it's Barcelona, Rome, a couple of other spots in Italy. It's going to be an incredible trip, all free, paid for by me, uh, if you are the lucky winner of the Master of One pre-order sweepstakes. So, go uh, sign up now.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And and I've I've been there, and it is a beautiful, incredible, incredible. uh, and the fact, the the way that you pulled this out, and I didn't actually know some of those backstories, it totally...
0: It's my favorite, it's my... favorite story i wrote in the book so it's right at the beginning of chapter two for those of you guys that are about to read it it's i I can't think of a better physical representation of the concept of master of one than La Sagrada familia i mean it's just it's a remarkable metaphor living metaphor for the book yeah hey thank you so much for coming back on the
1: the show it's always fun to have you uh keep keep getting content and we'll have more
0: discussions (laughs) That sounds good, Troy. Thanks
1: for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want more information on The Kindling Fire, go to our website, thekindlingfire.com. There you can learn how you can join The Fire Starters. That is a community that I'm sending free e-courses, Bible devotionals. We're doing special challenges to really help you guys move towards the dreams that God has placed in you. I'm also on Instagram at The Kindling Fire. And as always, be awesome.